navigating the digital mediums like Facebook as a marketing strategist and also as a mom of teenagers. Our next guest does both of those. Join us for another episode. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Get Over It podcast. I am your host, Dr. Christopher Fasano. Welcome back to a new episode. Just a reminder, you could subscribe to all the previous episodes and new ones as they come out on your favorite pod player, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Uh, today, we have another great guest, and I'm going to introduce her right now. This is Kelly David from 12 North Agency. She's going to join me today on the podcast. Kelly, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here today. So Kelly is uh, virtual through um, through Zoom, and we were... <laughs> She was muted, of course. Who's not muted on a Zoom call? So our first introduction was, you're muted, you're on mute. That's that great, it's that like wonderful greeting that we have with everybody nowadays. Um, so like I was mentioning before, Kelly, let's start with introduce yourself. Tell us who you are, where you, know, where you work, what the agency does, and then we'll go back in time and take your journey from there to where you are now. Sure. Um, so I work for 12 North Agency. I'm the principal and chief strategy officer here. Um, and I've been full-time with the agency since May. So just about six months. I should know that down to the <laughs> day, time, and hour um, at this point, but I don't. Um, and prior to that, it was an agency that my husband owned. So I kind of came in and changed everything up. Um, we're located in Auburn, Maine, so which is not a super fast paced town, but you might be able to hear the hustle and bustle outside my window <laughs> right now as I realize it's not so soundproof room. Um, That's okay. It just makes yeah, it more so real. You know, we can hear the real, the realness of, of Auburn. Nitty Maine. and gritty. Yeah. Now you said you've, you're a Mainer, you've been in Maine your, your whole life, uh, but you've, you went away and came back a little bit. So tell us a little bit about your, your, you know, your history and your journey, you know, both in life and then professionally and how you sort of made your way back to where you are now. Yeah, so I grew up in Maine, um, just about 20 to 30 minutes away from where I am now in a cow town. Like there wasn't anything else besides cow fields, really. Um, did, you ever kip, when, did you ever tip a cow over? Did you ever do never, that? Is that ever, a thing ever, though? Ever. Is that like a real People thing? People did that, but I would I would, Why would never you do that? I don't understand. Do what, what, I do. What we it? partied in fields though. For sure. That I can understand. Things, that 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 seems like a logical thing. But the cow tipping, I never. People were like, "No, nah, it's, it's fun." I'm like, "Is it though? Like, what, what do you? What happens?" They're so cute. Like, what? Ha- they I fall over and then. Cow. Okay, sorry. Digress. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, cows are too cute for me to try to tip them over. Um, but so I went away to school, and um, I was never going to come back. I, I I thought I couldn't wait to get out of here, and I really enjoyed. I I went to school in Michigan. I loved it and got the travel bug and the just being away and like, you know, freeing myself of my geographic roots. Where in Michigan um, did you, was it University of Michigan? Where, where was it? What's No, cool? I went to Grand Valley State, interestingly enough, and I'm not even really sure how I ended up there, but it was just away. Okay. Um, and it was sort of perfect because it was a small-ish town, but had much more than Maine has, honestly. And I met some of my best friends there um, and I loved it there. And then after 9-11 happened, it sort of changed my perspective. And when I came home, Maine looked a lot more appealing. And I saw things that I've driven by a thousand times that just seemed so much more beautiful, you know, at that time than they had when I was a teenager. Um, and so I wait, really I'm sorry, looked- 9-11 happened. You were in school or you were out of school working there? What, what I was happened? in Michigan um, in my senior year. In your senior year. Okay, I was in my- And I, I was- wasn't coming home at that point. I, re- I really, really wasn't. And- Something about that just shifted my perspective yep. just enough. Yeah. Um, but what's interesting about it is I, it, it gate a lot of people that grow up here don't leave a lot. 
you know, if they end up staying here, but we, we get out and sort of see things every chance we get. And it's always great to come back. Right. You know, and to have this very soft place to land. So, so, so you graduated and then did you, you took a job or did you, what did you do next? Were you, were you already committed to going back home or were you looking around there or what was going on at that point? No. So I really was very non-committal, but had this seed in my head that I wanted to come back. Okay. And frankly, I had started dating my high school boyfriend a little bit again. So okay. that may have, you know, looking Influence, you're looking at, yeah. Influ- influencer. Um, but so I, I came back and I got a 40 hour a week unpaid internship. Nice. Good job. And right. Like now people would do say, people do that now. Week. Does that exist? No. Right. People- it doesn't exist. But that was literally the best career move I have ever, ever made. See that? See that? I might, if I told my kid that he'd be like, wait, what? You did work Nobody and no one, no one paid you for that? That's a thing? I'm like, yeah, that's a thing. And that's actually how it used to work, <laughs> you know? So what was that in? Was that in a marketing field or some sort of, what was it? What, what, what was that internship? Is that what it, it was? was it, it was in the marketing field. And so again, like it was the post 9-11 thing. So right. everything was sort of like colored by that. And I worked at the local Red Cross chapter 40 hours a week okay. and I was there only marketing person. Okay. So the the marketing person went on maternity leave. So I worked with her for about three weeks and she left and it was me. So I learned a ton that summer. So you had to, you um, had to do, you had to just learn. You were there. To, it was definitely yeah. trial by fire and they were doing some really neat things. And from a public relations perspective, which was where my schooling foundation was, um, the Red Cross had just taken a pretty crazy beating over the mm. course of 9-11. They had made some some mistakes and they were recovering from that. And, and the way that the Red Cross was set up at the time was local control versus national control. Right. And so that poor little local chapter mm. really needed public relations help. And it was, it was fun. And you were there for how long? How long were you in that role? Um, I, so I was in that very specific internship role for four months, so the okay. entire summer. Okay. Um, and then I stayed on as a part-time intern for the next, I want to say year and a half or so. Okay. Did they pay you at this point? Were you getting paid a little Never bit? Never paid. Nice. Look at you. <laughs> Never paid. You really paid I worked, your dues. I worked on the coast at this restaurant and I made some bank there uh, as a waitress. But yeah, I would have to work basically to go to that internship. Did you like being a waitress? I worked as a waiter. I lived in Miami, Florida. So similar, like I was down there when 9-11 happened. And it. I remember specifically, I have family that uh, were working in the city that day. And I remember the busy signals when I was calling them. And I remember that feeling of being like, I am. I never felt really far away until after that, I realized how far I was, you know, like you can't reach someone in a tra- like in a, something like that. But anyway, I, I, I was a waiter down there for a little bit and I just couldn't do, I loved the interaction with people that I loved, but I just, I just couldn't do it. I, I don't know why I just didn't, I don't know what it was. I, I, it was not for me. Did you enjoy it or no? So I loved it so much. And it's so like, I don't think I could do it now. Honestly, I think my body is like too old. My back would hurt, but um, I am super introverted. So it really taught me Mm. how to extrovert and how to like flex that muscle that really isn't natural for me. And um, a friend, actually a colleague that works at uh, 12 North and I, we've talked about how everything we know about marketing, we learned waiting tables. It's a joke, but like a lot of it really is colored by those experiences that we had and, you know, the salesmanship, which again, isn't natural for me and just making conversation. And, um, and I worked at Cook's Lobster House on the coast. Mm. So every time I walked into the, you know, the big waiting, the dining room, um, it was, 
it was the ocean. Yeah, it's and this, beautiful, like, right? Historic bridge. And I mean, yeah, you couldn't complain about it, it honestly. And it, it's most tr- people were happy there. It's true what you say about the like marketing and sales as a waiter or waitress, because you're making your own money. You know, you, you know, you have to make your money. So the better you are, the more outgoing you are, the more you can relate, the more you can get on somebody's level, the more you can speak directly to them more likely you are to get, you know, a better tip or do better. And that's exactly what marketing is, right message, right time, speaking the language and speaking directly to somebody. So it's interesting that you bring that up. It's very, very true. It's very true. And one of the things I think is so interesting about it is as a waitress or a server, you have to be in the dining room and looking pretty cool and not sweaty and you're not allowed to swear. And then you go back, you know, into the (laughs) kitchen where they're like, you. You're, you're like, letting them I'm fly. I'm not making that. Um, and they can do whatever they want and say whatever they want. And you just kind of have to go back out like, I'm good. Hey, Everything's great. Just- and <laughs> do you want another margarita with a, a you know, upsell of Patron or something? Oh, so, yeah. yeah, I do think that, you know, just that kind of and, and the fast paced nature of it and everything. And then the other thing is in marketing, you get your hands dirty. Like, I don't care what position you're in, you you know, there's no position that you're doing where you're not doing something else, like other duties as assigned. Um, This is true. You know, and it's kind of akin to getting under the table with the little broom and or whatever. Yeah. So you're, you're doing this, you're at the Red Cross, then what's your next, where's your next move? Like, do you, 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 did you join uh, another company? Did you, what was your next move as you grow to where you got to now? So, so real quick with the Red Cross, yep. I got to go on national disaster assignments and that oh, man. from a, from like an experience perspective, there's nothing else like it. Wow. So I got to do PR on live television for like hurricanes and tornadoes and you're in the middle, like you're by yourself. Um, and so you really need to, it's like very much again, trial by fire. So wait, so did, did you that. go, did you go down? Were you there while they're happening or did they deploy you afterwards? Like you weren't one of those people in the, in the, like the jumpsuits with the rain and the hair flying. Like, were you like, one Kinda. Of- <laughs> so yeah, the, the tornado would happen and then they would call all of the people okay. in and it's very well organized. And so public affairs was one of those things. And, um, I knew PR was my thing, but that really solidified it. And and the sort of direct connection between mm-hmm. great communications and helping people mm-hmm. and like making a yep. difference was super evident there. So, um, but so I went from doing that to a job as director of communications and events at an event center. And I got that job from the director of finance at the Red Cross. Okay. So this kind of started my like never burn a bridge and right. everyone you know is a good connection yep. um, because that was the first time that happened and it can I don't know that it's not happened once. And this is um, local now career. still, right? You're still we're in still Maine. local. Okay. Yep. yep. All right. And how was that different than than where you were in the Red Cross? Was it similar? St- obviously, the you know what you were doing the you know you're not in disasters and things like that. But how was it a little bit different? Was it a structural difference like in the company or what was it like? Yeah. So I worked for um, a national events uh, sort of company. So all they do is like go into these big arenas and and run them and and make money. Very different from the Red Cross mm-hmm. um, in that yep. respect. And you work like a million hours. Yep. And you probably get paid like two dollars and forty cents yep. an hour after all is said. Isn't that always but fun again, when you do the calculation when you're like not <laughs> good, but. But really great experience. And again, a lot more public relations on your feet thinking. And this was the job where I distinctly remember people talking about Blackberries 
And I thought they were talking about actual blackberries. I was like, what are they talking about? Why? So this, <laughs> what is the obsession with blackberries? Which now sounds so like antiquated and funny that I ever thought that, but it just wasn't a thing. And that's where I sort of really started to make the connection between like texting and marketing and, you know, some very early like pay-per-click advertising, email advertising and content marketing, which was super different then. Mm. But in the arena, you didn't have money for anything. So you would make up like these um, ways to collaborate with like local pizzerias or, you know, something like that. So it really started laying the foundation for this like content marketing boom that, um, you know, everybody's involved with now. For people that don't know what a BlackBerry is, for then when listening, um, I don't know how to describe it. It's like an old, it's like one of the first sort of smartphones that existed. It was like this rectangular, I don't know how to describe it. You guys should Google a BlackBerry. It's the best way. It had like a little scroll thing and a big keyboard, right? There's a keyboard and on actual it. buttons. Yeah, real buttons, like, you know, all the letters and buttons. And like people would, there's those classic pictures of people just staring down with both their thumbs and they're just typing and typing and typing on a BlackBerry. That was like our first foray really into smartphone world. Oh God, the Blackberries. Do they still are still around? No, they're not around anymore, right? No. And I, in fact, I heard a joke about a Blackberry being like antiquated the other day. So I thought that was really funny that I like once was on a conference call and was like, what are they talking about? And so, I thought it was. Actually- so now you're, you're, you're in an agency now and you said um, you were, you said you were in agency before you were in this agency or this was your first foray? This is agency? my first agency. So uh, shortly after I worked at, um, the event center, I got into healthcare marketing and that became, um, I would say, I've always said that PR, um, was my like one true love in school. Once I found that PR existed and that you could just communicate with people and get them information in order to sort of help a business or an organization, I thought that was the coolest thing ever. And so that became my first love. And then healthcare really became my second in terms of career. And combining those two sort of has been my entire life's work. Like I'm a dork about it actually. That's okay. I really love it so much. (laughs) There's nothing wrong with being a dork. I'm a dork with a lot of things. And I find that like, that's totally okay. And it should be embraced more. And that word should be used more often, in my opinion. Um, I feel good about it. Same. Yeah, I just, I like to acknowledge it. Same. Um, So like, what do you find to be the main differences in an agency when you're working? I mean, I was just, I was telling you before when we started this, this, this is my first uh, at over. It's my first experience in an agency. And really the main thing is just, it's, you know, you're not working with just one, you know, when you're working for a company in a role, you're just trying to grow and build a marketing plan and sales around one company and, you know, a set of products possibly and services, but all under one portfolio of one business. When you're in an agency, there's multiple different businesses. In some aspects, you can tell me a little bit about 12 North, but in like at Over It, we have different verticals and different industries that we're in. We do some, we do healthcare, we do home services, we do higher ed. And so your brain is constantly shifting, which I enjoy because it keeps it fresh, but you can also recognize how it could be very depleting. You know, you're, it can be very tired, tiring at the end of the day because like your brain is constantly going. So what's what's your experience been and how, how what are the differences that you've really seen? So after being in healthcare for gosh, you know, like 17 years, it's definitely refreshing to have different verticals. So we're doing a lot in the, and we're very small. We're a boutique agency, um, but we're doing a lot in the retail space, still in the healthcare space um, and really working with, um, you know, I think I became, I, I got the reputation of being a little bit of a brand fixer. So working with companies that like need that kind of, whether it's a new brand or really need help, mm-hmm. um, 
figuring out something that maybe went wrong before. So that's definitely still the niche. I, I think that it, it is exhausting mm-hmm. in terms of just like your brain is always all over the place and everywhere, but that's how I think anyway, like a thousand tabs open. And um, yep. I don't really know how to think any other way at this point. Um, but honestly, it's so hard because I came into this after and after having been in COVID, like on fire with COVID for a couple of years um, as a communicator. So nothing touches that in right. terms of um stress or anything. So it's really more the the thing I struggle with the most is less colleagues, Mm. less feedback. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? The feedback is very different because if you're sitting across the the table from someone who uh, gets paid by the same organization as you, I I think it's easier for them to be like, I don't like anything. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's very different. mm -hmm. um, And and learning all of that also over Zoom is interesting. Tell me about it. I know, like it, it was a big, it was a big learning curve for us too. Um, but I, I was interested in something you said about um, sort of a reputation as someone that helps brands fix fix brands, or like you know, you know, they need not so much fix, or maybe there's things that they want to highlight better or bring out. Did you feel that your experience in PR and like communications, especially around the, in disaster or things of prob- that were problematic? Did that help you in this regard? Because I imagine that experience when you're trying to communicate things through disasters or problems in brands, maybe we don't view it as a disaster, but again, it needs fixing and identification of problems. So tell me a little bit about how that that helped you there. Yeah, I, I definitely think, you know, the foundation of PR is to fix something or or build something. Yep. So so the structure of how you approach that is is always the same. And um, I'm a big straight face test person um, in how in terms of how you communicate with people and how you um, retain public attention of your target audience. Um, so so I definitely think it did. Also, though, it, you know. I've really always had this integrated marketing communications approach. So when we start talking about like tech stacking and all mm-hmm. of this stuff in marketing, I am always the person who's like very old school. I mean, I mentioned the BlackBerry already. People are like, this woman is like, you know, stuck in the nineties or something, but I'm really not. Um, but, but I do think I'm the person who's like, yeah, but it's still people. Yeah, It's still it relationships. And if you can't, you, you've got to find a way to do that. And if your tech stacking works for that, that's great. But good communication isn't always possible with AI or something like that. Even though people would say it is, um, I'm the person that's sort of devil's advocate on that, I think, all the time. So this is really, it's, a, it's so interesting you brought this up. I mentioned it at the beginning. We were talking about this yesterday with the team internally about how this whole thing with Facebook that's going on right now, Instagram and Facebook, and how um, even Google, I mean, Google is still hiding behind all of Facebook. They're probably sitting there being like, yes, man, Facebook has taken all of this crap. Yes. But they do the same thing. They're selling data and they're, they're targeting and they're doing the same thing. I mean, they might not be doing, um, you know, they might be doing it in a different approach than Facebook, but, you know, it all it all, it all hinges on our personal data being exploited for, you know, for the ability to sell, sell product. And so we had this internal conversation about uh, diversification of strategy in, in marketing and, and communication and not having all of your eggs in, in one basket or baskets like a Facebook or something like that. And there's both, there's two sides to the argument. Like one side, which I totally understand that I see is that, you know, Yes, there are some ethical things going on there, 
that's a that's one that's that's a that's a that's a debate to have. But in terms of you know people saying, well, they're putting profit ahead of people. That's what companies do, right? That's their mission. They have a mandate to make as much money as possible. And until there's better ways to do it that are safer for the consumer, it's very difficult to recommend to businesses, you should take all of your money out of these platforms and not give them, you shouldn't pay any money to Google, Facebook, or anyone, we should try something else because there's not really anything else really on the digital that's really going to, to, to work, right? So there's that side of the bait. But there is something to say about diversification. It's not all about hard on those digital channels, right? So let's talk a little bit about that. Like, how do you approach that? Like, especially as this grows, like you do want to be wary about what's going on. And to your point, it can't all just be through AI and through these algorithms. So do you think about that in your strategies and how do you approach that? I mean, certain clients do better in certain mediums, right? But how do you, what, what's your take and how, at your agency? What, what are you guys talking about? Yeah. I, so I, I've thought about that for a long time. And I think one of the, you know, before this whole thing with Facebook this week, which was Honestly, like I wasn't too surprised Same. that it happened. Um, and and so real quick too, my dad is a Marine and he was always like, no one owes you anything, right? Like, so I go through life thinking like no one owes you anything. And I think that about these platforms, like what do they really owe us? Right. I mean, you're spending a lot of your time in there, but like we all saw what happened in MySpace. You know what I mean? So so for anyone to to, especially business owners to sort of throw all their eggs into one basket doesn't seem wise, like Correct. just at first blush. Um, and we've seen this happen too with TikTok where TikTok is amazing. Like if you want to sell a product, I mean, you can reach a lot of people quickly on TikTok and you can go hot real quick and you can also uh, yeah. get doused with water real yep. quick too. And then it's done, then right? It's done. Like they Dead. might yep. shut your account down. So whenever I see people like that and they're complaining about it, I think, well, what's the plan though? Right. That's, that's that the thing. That happened to 20 other accounts. So you've got to have a plan. And I do think you've got to be on all of these platforms um, or, or you've got to have a plan, right? Like a content strategy plan. Where are you? Really focus on what your messages are and who your um, target audiences are and who's speaking for your company. And I think things like... Um, podcasts are really great because you can distribute via Facebook and Instagram and, and gain audience there. But if you've got your own media that it's yours, right? It's yours. Then right? it just becomes and where are you going to push it out? Not necessarily. Where are you right? going to push it out? Right. And so on a day, like not yesterday, but the day before when people didn't have anything else to do, if your stuff is still there and you're still building your mm -hmm. content and you've still got this home base, mm -hmm. That's what you really need. Mm -hmm. And you do have to be able to, you know, you should be thinking about where else are you distributing? Also, I'm a big Twitter fan. Like for whatever reason, I, I reach a lot of people via Twitter. It's tends to be my, my place where I feel like I have good conversations and make good relationships with people. It sounds very, again, very dorky. Um, but don't sleep on some of those platforms. I, I think people get so excited about Instagram reels and stories and, you know, Facebook this and the TikTok, but you've really got to think about, are people really listening to you there? And I, I you know, I, I think there are certain businesses, yeah, they lost a ton of revenue right. on Monday. Yep. And that's terrible. Yeah. But where else could you be? Right. That's the um, thing. Like if you're going to say, I think that we shouldn't be here and here and here, the next logical thing would be, but we're going to be here. And so until you can have the other here, 
you can't really just wholesale be like, we're out. You know, the other thing too is saying to other, to the clients is like, if they take a moral stance and they want to be ethical and say, you know what, I am not going to be contributing to that out of principle. As long as they understand the ramifications of what could happen if they remove themselves from the platform, good for you. Like, that's that's on the a customer and a, and a business to decide. Like if they want to take that stance, who am I to say like you are crazy? All I can say is like here's the kind of revenue you're generating from that channel, and just know if you if you lose if you want to do that, you might lose this. But if you're okay with that, and you want to make it part of who you are as a brand, you could maybe win that back in other ways through that stance that you're taking. But they have to understand the ramifications. Where it gets a little dicey is taking a stance as an agency and saying, we don't support that because in the end, it's not my money. Like it's your business and your marketing spend. How you want to spend it, I'm going to help facilitate it. I'm only going to advise you on whether I think that's a good place for you to be. I can't really, we're not an ethical counselor. So I think it gets a little bit, it's an interesting conversation. But again, like if, if the client or the customer wants to take that stance, good for you. You just have to understand what's going to happen out of that. And then we got to talk about what else are you going to do? Um, interestingly, with the content, I love that. And, I, and I, I'm, I've been a content producer for a long time. I've been podcasting for 10 years. Um, and it's funny, like, you know, m- both my brothers are in the game too. And, you know, remember when collecting emails was like the thing, you had to get email addresses and that sort of ebbed and flowed. It still really matters to get an email address. People think that emailing is dead and, you know, there are, you know, SMS, yes. But in the end, like if you have a tangible list of, of humans that have given you their information willingly and you're growing that over time and you have something in the end, that has a lot of value. Even on digital, it has a lot of value nowadays. Um, but you're right because if everything disappeared tomorrow, those channels, and you were still producing content, you still have something that you can push. Even if you had to mail something in an envelope to everyone and say, hey, read this article I wrote, you have something of value. So it's a good point to focus on your content because content is always king, in my opinion. And to nurture those relationships. Like if people respected you enough to give their email address at any point, give them good stuff along the way. Right, right. Right, because they're they're saying yes, I'm I'm enjoying what you're doing, and so you have to respect that and and be able to supply I that. I think so. I think so too. I mean, it's not it's not just like a grab. Like you're not just trying to hey, I got another name, and I just want to throw that up there. We we talk about that for us over at our own marketing. We have a lot of uh, people on a list, and so we try really hard to produce good content for them. Um, and you know, it's not it's like this podcast we're doing. This is not uh, an, an overt sale of over it. This is just a conversation between two people that about interesting things that we both find interesting and that hopefully other people find interesting. So, it, you know, as you know this, it's branding and it's another way for them to be close to the brand, but it's not all about selling. It's about producing something that, that matters and has really, really, you know, that people can really gravitate to. Um, you're a mother, you have three children. That's what you said to me. Give the ages again for everybody. 16, 13, and 10. 16, 13, and 10. 16, 13 are the boys and you have a 10-year-old girl. Is that right? Yes. Okay, the first question is, how are you finding the male versus female situation? Do you find that it's wholesale very different? Um, are your boys similar because they're boys because you have two boys or is there, what is, I only have one boy, so I don't know the difference. Oh. So first <laughs> of all, it, if Allie, the 10-year-old was born first, I think she'd be it. <laughs> She is like fiery. She's awesome. Like she's like one of the coolest people on the planet, but she's a super lot. fiery. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> she is extra and she <laughs> has a thought about everything oh, and she yeah. shares it. She's, um, yeah, she's phenomenal. And I, I say that to her like as a joke, but I'm kind of not joking. Um, so she's, yeah, she's more fraught with emotion for sure. Yeah. Um, but that could just be her. Like her age like or something. Like, did you find the equivalent age in the male similar? I'm, I'm just curious about that. Like, the boys the boys never cared about things that she cares about. Okay. And right. I'm talking from good stuff, like, you know, cleaning up the environment, um, being really kind and like inclusive. Like they just never thought about that. Right. I don't know that they weren't that they just didn't express it in the way that she does so those kinds of things but also like you know mary sue was mean to so-and-so and and i'm just like okay so get over it and she literally can't get over it ever um but the boys would like jump off a tall rock right okay so it's like those stereotypical boy things that boys do yeah yeah but they all three play athletics and she's very athletic um, as are they, and they're all kind of into art and stuff like that. So in, in that perspective, I think they're pretty diverse. So bringing it back to social media. So in my other life, uh, I host a mental health podcast and I talk about this a lot. Um, you know, Very cool. I talk about it a lot. A lot of people that listen are constantly writing me about like, you know, my, I always say like, you know, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a psychologist. Um, people see that I have a PhD in neuroscience. They think that that means that I'm like a neuro, some sort of like, a ther- I'm not a therapist, but I've recognized the brain is a bunch of wires and it when you grow it's it's wiring up to the age of 5 once you hit about 7 or 8 you're pretty much wired then it just becomes like pruning and it's much better to when you have a ball of wire that's tangled, it's much harder to untangle that ball. You'd rather have it nice and sort of laid out uh, as you grow. Same thing works with your your mental health and your connections. So you want to try to like along the way let kids know that it's okay to talk about X, Y, and Z. It's okay to feel a certain way. It's just that the the influence for, for kids nowadays is so vast. Like when we grew up, it was very controlled. We were home and we went to school and we came home, everything stopped. That was it. Like, so even if I had the worst day ever or I was picked on or called a dork or whatever, I stopped, it stopped once I walked home and I got home. That, it never ends. The last thing people see at night, right? I think I think actually the the woman, the the whistleblower, actually from Facebook said the same thing yesterday. Um, so how how are you experiencing that as a mom and somebody in marketing who understands the channels really really well? Um, how has that been for you? And and you know just you know your thoughts on it as a mom. I think first of all, I'm grateful that I do understand the channels. Um, because I do think it puts me a little bit ahead, yep. although like Snapchat and things like that, man, they get a, they get away from me. Um, and I, I'm like, oh, that's a trend that seems special um, and new <laughs> that I didn't know about. Um, but I will say that I think um, my kids, you know, and you can always be wrong about this and it can always change, but I think that they do have a healthy relationship with social media. Um the boys more than my daughter, who's a little bit younger. And so that could be a little bit of a factor, but we talk about stuff in a way that we did not talk about stuff um, in my house when I was You mean like up. with them, they, like they'll talk to you about certain things. You'll talk, yeah. Open more and open I ask dialogue. questions yeah, yep. that my parents would never dream yep. of asking. And yep. I use words that my parents would never dream of using because they're on social media right. and you got to be careful what pictures you're taking. Cause I remember doing a lot of dumb stuff when I was a kid that, 
you know, isn't memorialized. Right. And um, boys and girls say and do things when they're 13 that they wouldn't say and do when they're um, 26 and 36 and 46. Um, So we talk very openly about what's appropriate, what's inappropriate, what the consequences are for doing something, not assuming like you're not going to do this dumb thing because like your friends are doing it. Right. Um, And I mean, taking pictures of body parts, asking for pictures from people, you know, those things like screenshots, they happen, um, you know, all of those things. So we just talk about it. I mean, it drives my husband crazy. But but, but I think that the only thing that I, I always say to people is the number one thing you can do with your kids along the way is talk to them. Like talk to them, you know, let them, like, it doesn't matter like the length of the dialogue sometimes, um, what it is, but if you're talking to them about stuff that they know that's going on in their life and you're being open and you have a dialogue with them, that really matters. It sounds very obvious, but I don't think it's done in a lot of cases. I think a lot of people take the stance of like, oh, I don't really want to know, you know, like- Well, it's what, very uncomfortable. Very uncomfortable. It's got to be very uncomfortable. And I haven't- it's super. I, I haven't had that yet because I only have a nine-year-old, but it'll get there and- you know, I, I, you got to be willing to talk to them like like the language that they normally hear, you know? Because like you said, it's going to happen. If you think your kid isn't going to send a picture or get pictures, like it's going to happen, you know? Because when I was that age, God, if we had the technology, like, I'm, I'm like, I always think back, I was telling my wife, can you imagine what, what would, what kind of stuff, what like we had, thank God there was no cameras around at certain points. Can you, I I honestly can't imagine. (laughs) And so they really have to think like every word that they write, every, you know, picture that they send. And a lot of it's like, right. Like a piece of gravel. Why are you sending that? I'm on a streak. Okay. I have no idea what that means, but whatever, like that's so insignificant, but what are you doing when I'm not around? Right. Um, And like, it's gotten to the point where like, I give, (laughs) give like the football team rides home and I'm like, you're not sending any of those pictures. Are you? (laughs) They're like, Oh geez, mom, why are you saying that? And, And you know, what's interesting is I think that they are really wanting to talk about it. Do you, but do they, do you find that they'll, when they talk about it? They it's do. very, it's actually very interesting because when I was a kid, I would have died. Right. Like if my mom had brought that up to my friends, right. I, would have, I would simply have, asked <laughs> You're like, Wait, I would, I would not have been able to talk about it, but we've been talking about it for a long time. And, and I was driving a kid home the other day. I said, what, what is the point? Like, what are you doing on Snapchat? If you're sending this many pictures and he was like, there is no point. I wish I didn't have to do it. Like, I don't want to. Right. So that's it. So also you're desensitizing it a little bit, like by by talking about it so much, it's becoming like a normal thing. And what I think what that does is when they really do have to talk to you about something that really does matter or that is really bad, they might be more oh, like, we've talked about all of this stuff. She's, you know, my mom's already talked to me about sending these, but I might as well, you know, I can, it's an easier in for the conversation. Yes. You know. In fact, there have been a couple of times. So my 16 year old is actually turning 16 this week. Um, and so there've been a couple of times where like, maybe you could have censored that just a little bit, but to him, we've talked so much and so openly that he doesn't. And so, which is better this way, but there are certain things like, you know, I don't know that I needed to know everything you talked about on the bus ride home. What do you, um, do, you do. do you follow them on so- social? How does that work? What's the rule there? Like, I, like, you know, like I know people that set up fake accounts so that they can like follow their kids. So they don't know that their parents are following them. Yeah. Uh, so you don't want to give it away because they're listening to this. You can say like, I plead the fifth. I don't want to, I take the fifth. No, so actually I'm not a big fan of the fake account. Because it, um, it's it's very, it's very what it is. It's like devious. Like it's like, it's, it, it's working against everything you're saying, right? Which is to be open and communicative. 
Yeah. I don't think I need a fake account, but I can see, like, I don't judge someone who does. I get it. It is it, like y- you sort of employ all strategies because you're trying to figure it out. And it's new, like for, uh, for people in yeah. our generation, I, I yeah. think it's kind of like, it's a lot. Yeah. Um, but I don't, I don't like a fake account cause it is a little bit like devious, like yeah. hiding. Yeah. And we, we try to teach them not to do like, that. Right. Um, it is interesting because my middle son, especially, like, won't tell my husband stuff, and he'll tell me, and I'm like, "Ugh, thanks." Um, and then you just have to, like, you know, take a deep breath and figure out what you're going to do with it after. Um, so we really, we really do try to give them space right. and not they like punishment isn't really a thing unless it's like yeah. okay, well, you would have gotten in trouble for that regardless right. of where it, it has happened, to be proportion kind of proportional to what what it is. Otherwise, it's, yeah. it gets nuts. I, I agree with that. It gets we 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 do that too. My my son says that to me. Be like, why do you do you have to tell mom things like that? Like when I tell you things, and I'm like, well, you know, it depends on what it is. I mean, certain things. If you tell me, like, you know, I could keep it to myself, but then there's certain things that she's your mother. Like, she's got to know, and like, you know, I got to tell her because. Not only should she know, but like I'm one parent and I need to get help from the other parent yes. and I need advice because I don't know everything. So I go to her for, for, I don't think he understands that concept. Like, you know, sometimes he looks at me and he's like, you know, everything about everything. Like you just deal with it. You don't need to tell her. And I'm like, no, I, I don't. I need her to help me too. You know, collaboration is key. It is yeah, key. That's kind of, you do need like backup and yeah, just an ear sometimes. We, we were talking about this the other night where it's like, you know, I'm the disciplinarian in the relationship. So like, I'm the real tough person and not that my wife isn't tough, but you know, he knows how to get her to, if he, if he wants more ice cream or more something, he's going to her first. Or if he wants to play another hour on the video game, he's definitely going to her first. And I think that's okay, to be honest with you. I really do. Like people say like, gotta be on the same page. I think it's different when you're working, when you're going against the parenting, but it's okay for that. That's how I grew up. I was terrified terrified of my father. And, um, you know, I would go to my mom for certain things and then Luca will say to my, my son will say to me sometimes, dad, sometimes I feel like you're very strict. And I say, you know what? I may seem like that, but one of these days you're going to be faced with something really stupid and you might actually not do the stupid thing because you're afraid of me. And if that happens, then I did my job, right? And so some it might seem disproportionate right now, but I'm just trying to set it up. Wow, I sound like such a parent. I sound like such a dad right now. This is, this it's is okay. bad. And, and I agree about the, like, I think for my kids, it's different things. You know, they'll want to come to me for and different things they'll want to go to their dad for. And I think that that's good. I, I think it's, you know, right. it speaks to our personalities Correct. and the perspectives that we bring Correct. to it. And that'll persist as they get older too. And I think that my wife has, a, has, I married her because she has certain things that I don't. Right. And she married me because I do certain things that she doesn't. So to think that we have the same level of advice to offer is just not true. Like, so he, and the fact that he can recognize that tells me that he understands who we are. Right. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. It's actually pretty cool. Yeah. Very, very cool. Um, we have a couple minutes left. So let me just, uh, I want to ask you this. We'll close on this. Um, could, uh, back, bring it back to agency life and just marketing. Um, in strategies and things like that that you're doing with with clients and things, are there some new things or different things that you're excited about coming up or some things that you're doing for clients now in terms of like, is it digital or going back to like old school marketing? Just I'm just curious, like, are, are there some new things that you're thinking about trying or you've been trying that you're really excited about? So I really think maybe the last nine months, it's really been a lot about taking 
paying more attention to the old school, like communication, really like connecting with the audience and building a plan around that, and then finding the right digital tool to reach them and to distribute the content and to be where they are and and keep their attention. Um, And so I think it feels a little bit more like finding a balance. Yeah. Strategic, like really, really listening. Yeah. 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 Not just like, let you go here, here and here, because that's where everybody is. Yeah. And not just pounding out the information. I I think people are really tired. And so I think you've got to be really thoughtful um, about what you're putting out into the world. And I, I think the other thing is, you know, branding, I think is more important now than it ever has been. It's still almost impossible to prove ROI on branding. Mm-hmm. Um, but having that brand awareness, and uh, I think that that is so important. And I think that people are starting to realize how important that is. So if people want to learn more about you or follow you on, as a Twitter, where's your, where's your game? Where, where do you want people to go to find you and, and interact with you? Sure. So me personally on Twitter at KL David, okay. um, and I, I tweet pretty frequently about okay. all things parenting and uh, marketing and public relations. Cool. And then you can find 12 North Agency on Facebook um, at 12 North Agency. Okay. And the website for 12 North is 12 North Agency or 12 North.com? 12 North Agency.com. All right, cool. Well, this was so much fun. Thank you so much for doing this. Uh, you're our first virtual guest and it was perfect. So I was not bothered okay, by any of the, of the main or sounds in the background. So thank you so much. Good. Thank you so much for having me and it was great to be here. <laughs> 